You're listening to Black Mirror Reflections, a podcast thinking through the technology, philosophy, morality, and politics of the series Black Mirror. Welcome back to Black Mirror Reflections. Today, I am joined by Shannon Musset to talk about 15 Million Merits, the second episode in season one of Black Mirror, which premiered in 2011. Shannon Musset is professor of philosophy at Utah Valley University. She specializes in French existentialism, German idealism, feminist theory, and aesthetics, and she publishes widely on Simone de Beauvoir, French existentialism, and Hegelian philosophy. She is co-editor of Beauvoir and the History of Philosophy from Plato to Butler, published by SUNY Press in 2012, and The Contradictions of Freedom, philosophical essays on Simone de Beauvoir's The Mandarins also published by SUNY Press in 2006. So Shane and I have been close friends for a very long time, even and despite the fact that we almost constantly disagree about all things technology related. She is by disposition far more cautious and pessimistic about our information age and our new digital lives than I am, but she's a thinker that I respect and admire a lot. And I appreciate that she keeps me on my P's and Q's when my own dispositional tendencies make me rush too quickly forward to the future. I could not possibly be more excited to talk to her today about 15 million merits. So welcome, Shannon. Thank you, Lee. I am thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for the invitation. I'm excited for this. I wanna say right here at the beginning that like all of these podcast episodes, this episode will include spoilers. So if you haven't seen 15 million merits, you should push pause and go watch it now. But could you summarize 15 million merits for us? Sure. It's, I think, on the surface, a pretty simple story. You're sort of dropped into a nondescript monochromatic world where people are bicycling for some reason that we don't know why. We have the main character, Bing Madsen. Um, and he's sort of doing his thing. He's totally numb to his existence. And one day a new woman walks into his workspace and her name is Abby Khan. He hears her singing in the bathroom and he's suddenly woken from his slumber. You see color coming back into his, his, his world in a certain sense. And so they have a kind of a, a little puppy love, a little bit of a crush, it's very fast. Uh, within, you know, a day or two, he's offering to give her all of his merits in order to buy her a ticket to go on to this reality show called Hot Shot. And she was reluctant at first, but eventually she gives in and he buys her this 15 million merit ticket to go on to the show. So she goes on to the show. She sings the song that she was singing in the bathroom. She does a, a, a really good job. And the judges say, that's great. We have enough singers. How about instead you go into porn and you join our porn channel instead? She's overwhelmed by the kind of uh, intense crowd cheering and she agrees to it and she goes off and lives that life. Bing is distraught. He's destroyed by this, that he's the one who's responsible for getting Abby into this situation. So he basically starves himself. He denies himself all physical pleasures. He earns the merits back after, I think, six months or so of just hard labor and buys himself a ticket onto Hotshot. He goes on to Hotshot. Uh, he presumably is doing a little song and dance. He stops in the middle, holds a shard of glass to his neck and gives this impassioned speech about how nobody feels anything anymore. And as soon as there's something real in the world, they destroy it and they just crush it with their uh, their show and their streaming and all of this sort of thing. 
and the judges are moved by it. And almost instantaneously, they give him his own show on a different channel where he can repeat this sort of feigned authenticity uh, week after week, thereby moving him out of the cycling world, but into just another kind of prison. Wow. That sounds really dark. And it was dark. One of the things that I found really interesting about this episode is that unlike a lot of other Black Mirror episodes, this episode does not present to us a world that looks familiar to us at all, except symbolically. So most Black Mirror episodes, you see something that looks like our normal life with a kind of super edition of a really cool technology. But in this episode, we have people who are largely living in these isolated cells that are entirely floors and walls and ceilings are all screens. All of the participation that they have that we might call like social or even political uh, participation with other human beings happens virtually through their avatars. And in these rooms where they spend most of the, where they live, they are constantly bombarded with pop-ups for porn, for advertisements, um, and they can watch a kind of endless stream of basically reality shows and crappy television. And then for work, they go to these nondescript gyms where there are rows of stationary bikes that they pedal endlessly and earn merits. This kind of stands out as a world that's unlike all of the rest of the series. Yeah, I think it's a really good question. I mean, on the one hand, I totally grant you that. It's 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 largely symbolic. Some of the more interesting scenes are where they pull back and you can just kind of see that this is just room after room next to each other stacked on top of each other. So it's almost this just kind of office in a void and we have no idea what's going on. And that's not exactly the real world. It's clearly a kind of symbol. But I do think that there is this sense of our lives being dominated by little screens and big screens. And while we may not be at the point where we have every single wall in our homes as a screen, we are certainly at a point where we spend very little time not looking at having our attention caught by interacting with a screen rather than others. And so I think that while it doesn't look like the real world, in a certain sense, if you take how much time people are interacting with, through, and attached to screens, that kind of is the real world. And so I think it bears some greater resemblance than you might want to admit. Yes. You like banging that hammer, don't you? About how, I do. Yeah, how screens are too much a part of our lives. I do. I do. It's true. So I suppose since we're talking about the kind of symbolism of the story, and, and we've had this conversation before, and I think you know that I think that this episode is really over the top and it's kind of ham-handedness when it deals with topics. It's, it sort of slaps you in the face. It's like, this is a symbol. This is the, <laughs> this is the theme of the episode. Um, and I, I found that really annoying. It's what I really didn't like about the episode. Right. But one of the things that I do find interesting is the fact that the currency in this world is called merits. So people go to work every day and they ride on these stationary bikes facing screens and the screens are there largely just to keep them distracted while they earn merits. Right. How do you, what, what do you think is important about the fact that these, they call them merits? Well, I think it's important that they're not called money 
and that yeah. it's not there's no sort of they're they're earning dollars or pounds or something like that because i think it lends to the kind of abstraction that is being pushed in the episode so yeah. rather than earning money you're earning merits and that kind of leads to the general feeling of abstraction in the whole episode that very rarely are you actually having anything real or concrete it's all something that is electronic or even when they're eating food they make the point multiple times to say that it's it's grown in a petri dish so even the apple which you'd think would be like the most concrete thing because it's sustenance is not even grown on an apple tree out in nature somewhere and so i think by calling it merits it definitely allows us to more easily see that what they're doing and what they're earning for what they're doing is a pure abstraction and what they earn from what they're doing and purchase on various things are themselves pure abstractions. And so uh, that's one of the reasons I think that they're called merits. I'm not surprised that you notice the sort of apple, again, one of those where they sort of throw an apple at your head and they're like, this is a symbol <laughs> or, or things that are authentic and real, right? Um, I'm of not course. surprised. I'm not surprised that you noticed that. I mean, I think that largely we have a lot of disagreements about the reality of virtual or digital life, but we can get into that in a second. But I did want to add that I think another way that we can think about the fact that they call these merits merits is because we see in this world of the episode that there is pretty distinct social stratification in this society. And the people who are on the bottom, they're called bother guts. Actually, they might not have a name. We can talk about that in a second, but they're on a television show that are called bother guts. They're janitors and they're all overweight and they're taken to be sort of lazy and good for nothing and not really worthy of common human decency, and everyone else kind of takes joy in the performance of their humiliation. Then there's the hoi polloi, the people who go to work every day and ride on the bikes and earn merits. And then there's the sort of upper strata of this society, which are people who've managed somehow through exhibiting some kind of a talent or authenticity or beauty to escape the stationary bike life and, you know, live with slightly more freedoms than regular people. So it does seem that part of the way that this stratification happens is through recognizing people who are worthy, who have merited our respect or merited worth being treated as human beings, people who are still kind of working on that and people who have, you know, demonstrated and been rewarded for that. So I do think that there is a kind of moral resonance to the fact that the money is called merits, you know, which of course is like yeah. money, it's stuff yeah. that you earn, but this has a much deeper sort of sense about it. Yeah. I, I really like that point because I think that, or I'm really intrigued by Barbara Ehrenreich's recent 2018 book, Natural Causes, where she sort of talks about the health industry and the performance of health and the kind of moral judgment that comes when people get sick, like why did they get cancer? You know, why do they have diabetes? And this sort of moral moral condemnation. And I think that 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 idea of these being merits really resonates with that because yeah. you can see how people in yellow, the the work, the janitors, are sort of they are beneath, as you say, that common human decency. And there's a kind of judgment about them that they're not doing enough to be healthy and therefore to be to be virtuous and i think it's it's certainly no accident that the workers of the hoi polloi are riding stationary bikes like it's right. all just one right. big health club and that that's right. the most important thing that they're doing with their lives yeah yeah 
So I want to talk about this lower strata of society. So they're dressed in yellow. They are the housekeeping staff. And more importantly, they're on this really ridiculous reality television that we see the people on the stationary bikes watching a lot. And the name of the television show is Bother Guts. There are shows on television right now that are like this show. I can't think of any of the names of them, but it's, you know, where you see people going through some ridiculous obstacle course. And the whole thing about this show is that, you know, you get to enjoy seeing them get, you know, knocked off a pole by a giant red ball or kicked in the nuts or whatever. (laughs) It's it's, slimed. Right. We're being amused by their humiliation. Right. And in this uh, show bother guts. Um, the idea is that they deserve it, right? Because they're fat and they're lazy, and you see them getting their faces stuffed and that's right, food, and they get hosed down like swine. And you know, so a few years ago, you said this is really what the episode is about. Yeah, yeah, on your blog, which was really really fun because I had not myself even noticed these people. Because the overt story of the tragic romance of being in Abbey is so dominant. And that there's actually this entire other story going on about this underclass. And I've seen this episode, I don't know how many times. This last time watching it, I actually noticed. So we have the story of being in Abbey. There's actually another character, a nameless character. That is one of the janitors who goes through the whole thing from being a janitor up to being on Bother Guts. Or, a man, or down to being on Bother Yeah, sorry, right, down to, exactly. Right, there's a scene where a man is, is having a hard time on one of the stationary bikes. He's coughing, and the real jerk guy, right, who's always being really cruel, right, he says something like, he'll be in lemon and all before long. And as it turns out... We, the next time we see this character, you don't even notice. It's such a fast scene. He's dressed in yellow and he's a janitor. So he's clearly failed at being a biker. And he's brushing off the, the origami penguin that Abby's made, calling it rubbish. And then the next time we really see him, he's on bother guts. So where we have this whole story of being an Abby getting on to hotshot, There's this whole other shadow character, this shadow narrative of this man who fails to be part of that middle class, right? He's told to report to 22 down, whatever that means. And he presumably is earning his own merits, sacrificing his own time to buy a ticket to go on to this other reality show than Hotshot and just be humiliated. Yeah, and when you actually wrote this essay for my blog, and we'll put a link to that essay in the notes for this podcast episode, but when you actually wrote uh, this essay for my blog, you know, you brought up these characters, the bother guts, who are in 15 Million Merits, and you said you didn't even notice them, did you? And I, and that to me was like a jacuzzi. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. I I did not. I didn't even remember them. Your basic argument was this is a whole different story when you rewatch it and frame it as about them, as about the bother guts, the forgotten, the disrespect. Well, and don't forget, right? Don't forget that that one of the forms of entertainment. So not only do they verbally abuse them and just throw trash at them as they're doing their day-to-day job and not think twice about the fact that their whole lives is to just clean up after the bikers, but one of the main forms of entertainment is to 
purchase with your merits a first person shooter game where you're shooting these people, right? Of course, it's in, in a game form, but that it's entertaining to take out whatever rage you feel about the emptiness of your life by shooting these people who are there invisibly cleaning up after you every day. So they're like homo soccer. You know, I do think that it's true that if you watch the whole show focusing not on being an Abbey and instead focusing on the yellow workers, it tells a very different story. And it's profound in its invisibleness at first. And then it's in your faceness after you look at it, after you watch it for those for those people. You're listening to Black Mirror Reflections, which is mostly a labor of love and is, at present, ad-free. If you like what you hear, and if you're hearing what you like, consider donating to us at patreon.com backslash blackmirrorreflections. That's patreon.com backslash blackmirrorreflections. And now back to our conversation. So here's a question I have for you about that in particular then. Do you think that the people like Abby in the end who end up on the porn channel right. are paralleling in some way the bother guts? Or yeah. do you think that... Oh, yes! Think about it! Oh, no, that's a really great insight because every time we see Abby... Oh, Lee, that's good. Every time we see Abby- That's why and, they pay me the big bucks. <laughs> that's right. Uh, in her right in her pornographic performances, it is always of a man shoving his finger into her mouth. And every time we see the people competing on bother guts, uh, they're either getting hosed down, but always after they've had food shoved into their faces. And so I think there is that parallel story, that kind of pornographic, right, excessive, if you're going to get out of this life, you're going to be filled with whatever toxicity that you think is going to raise you up, but in fact is just a more pronounced form of your suffering. Yeah, except for there is this one, I think, really important difference, which is that to go down to the yellows. 22 down. To go to 22 down is a punishment. Whereas to make it onto the porn channel is a reward. I wonder. I don't think it's presented as a kind of reward. I think it's definitely every time we see Abby, she's like, right, she's just with the wide eyes and, oh, I get to wear nice clothes and I get to meet interesting people. And I, I definitely think yeah. it's presented as a kind of, of absolute hell. Yeah. So how do we fit the other channel, right? So there's the sort yeah, of Father Guts yeah, channel, there's yeah. the porn channel, and then there's this other channel that Bing ends up winning a spot on. And he wins it to hilariously, or ironically, perform authenticity. Right. Not two times a week for whatever it was. You right, know, an hour, right. Two times a week. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not really sure what that other channel is. I think it's kind of interesting that, that it's sort of, uh, what is the judge's name? Is that Judge Hope? Actually, since you brought it up, let's talk about Hot Shots. So we've talked about Bother Guts, which is the television show for the lower strata of society. Hot right. Shots, very, very much based on American Idol or Britain's Got Talent, those kinds of shows. People go on it in hopes of getting on the channel 
of one of the three judges. So the three judges are named Judge Hope, Judge Charity, and Judge Wraith. And Judge Wraith's surname is spelled W-R-A-I-T-H. So it looks like wrath. And I always thought, oh, okay, so they're supposed to be hope, charity, and wrath. You know, I thought again, like, here, let me hit you on the head with the, <laughs> with the symbol. Right? Like this is, we can map this onto the trio of reality show judges with which we are all familiar. But then I was reminded that in one of St. Paul's letters to the Corinthians, he says, you know, these three things remain, faith, hope, and charity, and the grace of these is charity. And it's interesting because wraith looks like faith. This show is definitely overladen with symbolism. Right. Uh, But yeah, so Judge Wraith is the judge who is giving people the opportunity to break into porn. And don't forget, right, that this is, he's new this year. Yeah. So they made a point that they they had a glut of of singers and dancers and entertainers. And so he's been brought on this year in order to kind of siphon off some of that talent. Exactly. And and Judge uh, Charity's channel is the channel for talent, singers, mm-hmm. dancers, etc. And Judge Hope's channel is not really explained what it is. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But- I don't really know what it is, except for that we know that that's the avenue that Bing gets to, to take. It's sort of the, the salvation channel. It's as good as it's going to get. Okay. So one of the things I know I've said to you ad nauseum at this point is that this has never been one of my favorite Black Mirror episodes. It's actually been one of my least favorites. And we've had many fights about this over <laughs> the years. I had it listed and you know, near the very bottom of my kind of ranking of all of the episodes. And that is largely because, in my view, it's just painted with too broad of strokes, that it's very ham-fisted. Everything seems so obvious. For example, when the contestants go on to hot shots, when they're literally walking onto the stage, they're given a drink that they have to drink. <laughs> the drink is called compliance. I love it. I love it. In my heart, I heard a sad trombone every time (laughs) the episode sort of like, again, bulks you over the head with this, here's the point. So it's not something that I've ever really liked about the episode. Now, putting in brackets that when you suggested that I go back and rewatch the episode through the lens of the bother guts, I found it super fascinating. And that's the only reason I've watched it so many times since. But yeah, in general, I just find this to be so broad and sloppy and kind of really lazy writing. I know we disagree about this. And I mean, I I will say that I agree that so many of the themes are very overt, right? They're not subtle. Conformism and capitalism and meritocracy and class and authenticity, right? All these themes that we love to talk about in philosophy, it's pretty overt. And I think that it works for the show because I think that there's something about the way in which it lays it all out so starkly that I think it kind of, it knits together a very convincing picture. But I also think that there's something unique about the speech that Bing gives that becomes this sort of shadow authenticity that he performs in his in his future his future broadcasts that I think really stands out. So I think it would be a really good time to just listen to the speech that Daniel Kaluuya, you might probably recognize him from Get Out, uh, but Daniel Kaluuya, who plays Bing in the episode, gives this speech. So let's just take a listen to 
Do you prepare the speech? Is that it? Speak! I haven't got a speech. I didn't plan words. I didn't even try to. I, I just knew I had to get here, to stand here, and I knew I wanted you to listen. To really listen, not just pull a face like you're listening, like you do the rest of the time. A face like you're feeling instead of processing. You pull a face and poke it towards this stage and we, we, la-dee-da, we sing and dance and tumble around and all, and all you see up here, it's not, it's not people. You don't see people up here, it's all fodder. And the faker the fodder is, the more you love it, because fake fodder is the only thing that works anymore. Fake fodder is all, is all that we can stomach. Actually, not quite all. Real pain, real viciousness, that we can take. Yeah, stick a fat man up a pole and we'll laugh ourselves feral because we've earned the right, we've done so time and he's slacking the scum, so ha 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 at him. Because we're so out of our minds with desperation, we don't know any better. All we know is fake fodder and buying shit. That's how we speak to each other, how we express ourselves is buying shit. Well, I have a dream. The peak of our dreams is a, is a new hat for our doppel. A hat that doesn't exist. It's not even there, we buy shit. It's not even there. Show us something real and free and beautiful. You couldn't. Yeah? It'd break us. We're too numb for it. Our minds would choke. There's only so much wonder we can bear. That's why when you find any wonder whatsoever, you dole it out in meager portions. And only then, till it's augmented and packaged and pumped through 10,000 pre-assigned filters, till it's nothing more than a meaningless series of lights while we ride day in, day out, going where? Powering what? All tiny cells and tiny screens and bigger cells and bigger screens and fuck you! Fuck you! That's what boys start doing is fuck you! Fuck you for sitting there and slowly making things worse! Fuck you and your spotlight and your sanctimonious faces and fuck, fuck, fuck you all for taking the one thing I ever came close to anything real about anything! But oozing around it and crushing it into, into a bone, into a joke! One more ugly joke in the kingdom of millions of them! Fuck you! Fuck you for happening! Fuck you for me! For us! For everyone! Fuck you! That! That right there! If you don't get goosebumps, if you are not moved to your very core, hearing that speech. And I really attribute, it's a lot to the actor, right? Kaluuya is so powerful, but there is something about that speech, ham-fistedness or whatever, that <laughs> totally destroys me. I mean, it's like Hamlet or Macbeth saying those words. It's that powerful to me. And I think that for all of the spoon feeding, apple throwing at your heading that's going on in the episode, that moment and that speech just cuts through it. And I, it's like howl. It just says it. So that's, yeah. that's why I like the episode is it builds up to that. And all of a sudden he is us. He is saying what we feel and he's saying it so powerfully that it just gets me. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we're about to have a little confessional time here because it just <laughs> doesn't get me. I, yeah. I, it, it seems like such a tired, old, lazy, you know, nothing that we, nothing is really real. I want things that are really authentic, uh, you know. I just don't think that theme ever gets old. I think that yeah, that don't, theme, do I don't. don't. <laughs> I think that that theme is the human condition. 
I mean, I do existentialism, right? Like I'm always howling into the void. That is the human condition. The the desire to break free from the boxes and the prisons and the cells that hold us. And so I think it does a good job of that. Okay, so that I agree with. This is where we share our love of existentialism is that whether it's true or not, our experience of ourselves, our experience of our own consciousness is that we are fundamentally freedoms. Mm-hmm. And when when we we want to express those freedoms and not feel like we are machines or robots or insignificant, uh, algorithmically planned, entirely predictable uh, Breach. systems, right? However, uh, <laughs> I think where we disagree is that I am less concerned about the way that emergent technologies are inhibiting that and actually more excited about the many, many ways that we can be authentically ourselves and many ways that we can find different personas and avatars, you know, of expressing authenticity. Well, Lee, one of the things, and And I don't think, I don't think it's like, I have to have like real nature and real trees and real. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I, and, and all right. So one of the things that in our ongoing disagreements about the nature of technology is that, that you have educated me on is that it's a position of privilege to be like, oh, you need to get out and have your real apples from your real apple trees and go out into nature. And we don't need technology and we don't need any of this because only privileged, able-bodied people can even entertain the like, delusion or fantasy of being freed from technology and i actually that that has stuck with me ever since you enlightened me onto the as on that point <laughs> i certainly think right i mean we're all good heideggerians here whatever is revealed there is always a simultaneous <laughs> revealing and concealing and i think that that technology is not bad and that nature is good and that, in fact, it is definitely a dialectic. Can, it can go many different possible ways. But that being said, I do think that technology advances faster than the human consciousness that is using it can process ethically and practically. And I think Black Mirror is really good at showing us that. There we have absolutely no disagreement. I 100% agree with you that we have developed advanced technologies before we have thought about them. We've thought about what their consequences are going to be, and we have put them in the hands of billions of people who do not understand the basics of how they work or what they do. Exactly. And I think that is very worrisome to me. It is still the case, maybe, that our disagreement really kind of hinges on this idea of not just virtuality, you know, is there a reality in virtuality? Right. Uh, Is there a reality in online life? But also, is there authenticity in performance? This idea that just because something is performed doesn't mean that it's unreal. I think that this episode, and again, one of the things why on, on just a kind of straight watching of it, Right. a straight interpretation of it. This is where I think it fails is because I think it's sort of building up this big story about, you know, how like, let's, you know, sort of wag our fingers at all of these people who have bought into yeah. you know, fully giving themselves over to a world that is shallow, 
that is meaningless and that is fake. That is literally not real. Yeah. And when instead, what we really should be searching for, what we really want is the authentic. I'm just not as convinced that we we're able to pick out what the authentic is as well. I think as that's we fair. Do. I think that's fair. Uh, you know, and I, I guess I would say that what the episode shows that problematizes that is that there's no freedom from it. From, that from, from the, the virtual world in yeah. which people find themselves. Yeah. And it's, it's false to say that we are at this moment in that kind of a, of a structure where we are absolutely not free to participate. I would, t- I would totally actually, I disagree. totally think, I know, I I actually, totally, you know, as I, I'm saying I that, I think we are absolutely not free. I think we, I take it all back. I know as I'm saying it, I'm like, nope, nope. That's why I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. I think that we have passed the exit ramp. It's like exit here if you don't want to participate. Yeah, that was like eight exits back. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that, was- <laughs> that is what I fear. And yeah, so I mean, there is sort of the sense of these poor people who don't have any other life than that, but that's us. And I think that it really, I think the episode successfully shows that. So here's my therapeutic advice to you. Okay. That instead of saying, oh, remember the good old days, remember the the 90s before this this all happened before <laughs> cell phones the one and only time you'll hear me say remember the 90s the good old days. <laughs> uh, but but instead of that kind of response kind of pining for a real apple for a real moment of authenticity for a real look outside of a real window at real nature instead of some virtual simulation of it instead of that why doesn't this become a new opportunity to really rethink what whatever that is that we call authenticity that we desired, like to find either new ways for it to be expressed or experienced or performed or find whatever that jive was, what that jive was really aiming at? Because yeah. it may not have been what we called authenticity. I, I want to say this because, because fair you're, enough, because you're a Sartrean that in the passage on bad faith from being a nothingness, uh, when he has the, the conversation between the two people who where the one friend is sort of demanding that the other friend be sincere, right? right. Like just, just be who you are and right. be simply who you are. And Sartre thinks this is an, another example of a pattern of bad faith that it's yes. a kind of, you know, that a human being is never simply what it is in the mode of being it. There's always this kind of negativity in there somewhere. So to me, authenticity sounds like sincerity, right? Right. It sounds like something that is... I mean, it's it's a deeply problematized concept, right? But I, I, I think I grant all of the things with Sartre, but I think that that's why the speech is so powerful in the episode is it's an eruption, pure eruption that Sartre would talk about. And that that is whether or not it's just being angry at capitalism, whether or not that's what authenticity is, I think it's the spontaneity. And so the question I think that is at the heart of our disagreement is just, you know, in what ways is is spontaneity still allowable or in what ways is it programmed? And I agree with you. I mean, I think it's important to have, to not just see a pessimistic view 
of where we are and where we can go, because I think all that does is contribute to all the problems rather than any of the yeah. solutions. But I'll, I'll probably need, what is it, Abby? Abby recommends to Bing that he needs the CBT, the Cognitive Behavioral Training app. <laughs> yeah. So I think I'll need to get the CBT app. Right. I don't think, I, I, I hate to tell you this, but I suspect that that won't actually be your choice. You'll just Probably be, not. You'll just be given the Cognitive. We'll all just be given. That's right. right it'll be implanted. Behavior. Right. And one day you'll wake up and you'll be like, hmm, why do I suddenly love broccoli? <laughs> why do I suddenly love my phone? <laughs> right. At the conclusion of this episode, please make sure to check out our post at readmorewritemorethinkmorebemore.com. That's readmorewritemorethinkmorebemore.com where we'll include a list of further readings, references, and links to things that we talked about in this episode. Now back to the conversation. So one of the things that I was talking about in a different episode of the conversation that I had with Michael Norton about San Junipero is how some of these episodes seem to be kind of targeted at a very specific age group. I'm pretty much convinced that San Junipero is targeted at people who are right now in their 40s. Yeah, um, it, it's appealing. Definitely. To nostalgia and those sorts of things. Uh, so don't take offense when I say this, but I think that this episode, the 15 million merits, is targeted to people who are in their 60s, right? <laughs> so, you know, people who want who want to go back to life before the internet, life before a screen. It's targeted to millennials, obviously, because that's mm, the that's yeah. that's what the that's what the millennial generation looks at and sees as their possibility. Like all I really have available to me for work is being a a, a worker bee in a cell in a cubicle. Oh no no no! I see I see that, and unfortunately agree with you there. But no, I mean in terms of like the lesson of the episode, which does seem to be a lesson that's like we should value real authenticity or whatever, and not all of these screens, not all of these illusions, not all of these performances. And that seems to me to really be targeted for an age group that wishes the information age never happened. That you know wishes that we could go back to people who were happy to hang a swing from the oak tree in the front Oh, no, I think, no. I'm talking about people like you, Shannon. <laughs> well, I do, I do like swings, <laughs> now that you mention it. No, I think, no. I think not. I think, I think it's definitely geared towards people even younger than, than us. I think it's, okay, I think it's so, geared towards millennials. I think so it's, how it's, do you, how do you make sense of the, I mean, millennials were younger than American Idol. I mean, American Idol wasn't even popular by the time millennials were watching television. I mean, millennials are. Yeah, but there's been, there's been no dearth of, of reality television shows and talent shows that have been yeah. going on and on. So I, but, I, but okay. I, okay. Sorry. I don't want to, we don't have to get bogged down in this, but if you think about the reality shows that have been on television, competition reality shows like Hot Shots, which we see in this episode, you think about all the reality, it's clearly based on American Idol. Yes. So everything that is a competition-based variety show, reality show between American Idol and now, who watches those? Not people under 30. 
people 40 and older, people 40 to 70 watch. This. Really? Well, I mean, if that's the case, then then you've got me. But I <laughs> I always assumed that it had a far broader range of viewership than that. I mean, I, okay, so I didn't do it. I didn't know I was going to make this point, so I didn't. Do <laughs> and I have but no I idea did. how to respond to that point. But so I would, but I'll I'll concede. I would, I would like to. Well, I would like to emphatically state it as fact. Okay, fine. <laughs> and I emphatically disagree <laughs> with your fact. Alternative and th- facts. <laughs> and this is how philosophers do it. That's right. <laughs> Okay, Shannon. So unfortunately, we really need to kind of wrap it up here. So I want to ask you three questions that I'm asking all of my guests at the end. And I'm going to give them to you in sort of rapid order and you can answer them um, all together. So the first question is, what do you think is the point or the message of this episode, 15 Million Merits? The second question is what in 15 million merits concerns you the most or worries you the most or um, disturbs you the most? And finally, if I gave you a scale of one to 10 with one being a completely nightmarish dystopia and 10 being a completely perfect blissful utopia, where would this episode, the world of this episode, 15 million merits, fall on that scale. Go. All right. So the first question is, what do I think people should take away from this episode? I I still think that, and I held this opinion for years now, I still think the most important thing to take away from this episode is that alternative story that's happening. that, That if you really just sort of want to see, I think, a really interesting presentation of the invisibility of certain classes and peoples that you follow the story of the yellow workers up through bother guts. And I think that that's that's something that anyone can take away. What bothers me the most about this is probably what we spent the, the end of our conversation talking about. And that's just the domination of the kind of virtual world that is presented in it and that you can't escape it and that the move to uh, having to pay actual money in order to not see advertisements in order to not be bombarded with you know pornographic images that are trying to get you to link in and to just you know that that every single thing that we buy is going to necessarily be nickel and dimed i think that that's what scares me the most is just the inescapability of that kind of domination by screens and images and the the cost, the literal cost and privilege to be able to have some kind of escape from it. How dystopic do I think this episode is? It's a scale. Uh, Listeners notice that she completely rephrased the question to how, how dystopic. Oh, right, right. One, the least and 10, the most. Is that right? Yes. Well, it's all, the one is a dystopia, 10 is a utopia. Okay. Okay. So that's a really hard question. And I'm going to, I'm going to probably undermine everything that I've said so far. So I'm going to give it a five. And that's because, right. I think that there are black mirror episodes that are, you know, far more terrifying. Uh, What is it? Shut up and dance Uh, is probably the most terrifying 
Um, I know that we hate Metalhead because it's just so stupid, but honestly, I think it's a really scary episode, right? It's just a, the dog that doesn't die kind of a thing. And I think that those, those, are, those are more dystopic visions. So I, it's, it's pretty dystopic to me. But there's a part of me that feels almost like that weird feeling I get with Brave New World where mm. I, I, I read it and I'm like, oh, isn't this terrible? But then I think, yeah, but if I could just zone out, right? Just totally tune out and just ride my bike and just like not have to feel, that wouldn't be so bad every once in a while. <laughs> so it's a little more, so, so what you're a little more us, utopic. What you're telling us is this is the sort of, this is perfectly dystopic. Or... Right. It's like, it's, a, it's the perfect balance. Just the right, right amount. Of Just dystopia. the right amount of dystopia. Right. Well, I've really, really, really enjoyed this conversation, Shannon, as I do all of my conversations with you. And I hope that maybe I can convince you to come back for a later episode and talk about another episode. I know you have a lot of really interesting things to say about uh, uh, Archangel, for example. So, but thank you so much for being here with me today. It was such a pleasure. Thank you for having me. I really had a great time. You've been listening to Black Mirror Reflections. Check us out and please subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you download your regular podcasts.